Well, so glad that you could join us today for Newport Church at home online. And whether you're joining us in Orange County or in the greater Los Angeles area, other parts of the US or other parts of the world, we're so glad that you could be with us. And I pray that this time together would be a time when your spirit is uplifted, where there's a sense of God's presence that through this time as we gather and that, that hope and faith will rise in your hearts. Let's open our hearts and our spirits as we worship together. I know God's gonna encourage you and uplift you during this time of worship. Good morning, Newport Church family. We are so happy that you're with us this morning. Come and worship with us this morning. Turn it for good. You 
And should I ever need reminding How good you've been to me I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I can see, I can see the light In the darkness as the darkness bows to him I can hear the roar in the heavens As the space between where sin I can feel the ground shake beneath us As the prison walls came in Nothing stands between us Nothing stands between us Being never in the fire Standing next to me And should I ever need reminding How good you've been to me I count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Father, we thank you for your amazing love and power. We thank you that you're the God to whom nothing is impossible and that all things are possible to those who believe that you're the God who can move heaven and earth to bring healing, to bring uh, reversal of everything that the enemy might have brought against any individual, to, to reconnect relationships, to heal the brokenhearted, to cause faith to rise in our hearts as we face every challenge in our lives and in our world. And so today, Lord, may you show yourself strong for each and every one. And Lord, may you do something good in people's hearts today as we continue to open our hearts and our spirit to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how good it is to be able to worship God. And even though we can't gather together at the moment, uh, we are going to uh, continue to be able to worship in our homes and, and, uh, and, and to sense the presence of God in, in a powerful way. So I want to continue this morning to worship God with our, our giving. The Bible says that when we give, that we are honoring God. And this is a time through our giving of our donations, our tithes and our offerings is a time when we honor God. And when we honor God, God promises in his word that God will honor us and he will bless us. And of course, those three levels of giving, donations is giving a donation one time or maybe regularly uh, to the work of God so that his kingdom can be established so that as a church we can continue to do what God has called us to do. A tithe is the first tenth of everything that comes into our lives and God promises that when we bring the tithe into the storehouse he'll open the windows of heaven and that the 90% we're left with will always go further than the 100% if we had held on to it. And then of course our offerings are what we give over and above our tithes. And wherever you're at in your journey of giving, few things that are important for us to understand. God says, let everyone give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is not something we do grudgingly or because we have to. We do it because it's an expression of our faith. It's an expression of our love for God and a belief that God will do what he promises to do. He'll honor his word in touching people's lives, but also blessing us and multiplying the seed that we sow. And so uh, I pray that as we do that, we'll know that God is the God who gives seed to the sower. Who does he give it to? He gives seed to the person who sows the seed 
and what we're doing through our online services, what we're doing even in this period of lockdown when we can't meet in our building, yet still have the responsibilities associated with the building, uh, we, what we're doing is we're sowing seed. And if you're watching, you're not a part of another church or you're not a part, you don't live in this area, but you do want to donate to what we're doing so we can continue to do this, please feel free to do so. We appreciate whatever you do, it will make a difference. And we can continue to do what we do in the community through the giving of all of uh, our um, endeavors that are uh, focused really on the need of people in our community through our Food With Love ministry. If you wanna to give to our Vision 2020, of course, those that have made a commitment, the first Sunday of every month is a time when we focus on that. And we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your faithful giving. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for each and every person, all those who give. Thank you for their generosity. We believe and we know that when we give and we sow into your house, into your church, into the kingdom, we are storing treasure in heaven, but we're making a difference here on earth. We're leaving a legacy here on earth. And I pray, Lord, that you would do what you promised to do. Let faith rise in our hearts. May you bless each one that gives and cause them to know extraordinary, miraculous provision and favor. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your generosity. Happy Sunday. So happy to have Bella here this week for a few days and also our goddaughter, Chloe, visiting from New York. She's an Australian working in New York and her mum and dad are very, very dear friends of ours. In fact, Megan, Chloe's mum, has been my best friend since we were 16. We met at youth camp 36 years ago. Megan walked in with her sleeping bag into the cabin and I walked in with a, uh, a white covered duvet and we realized that we were very different, but what we had in common was our love for the Lord. And 36 years later, what is so special about our friendship is that one thing, that common thread, that we both love the Lord and we have seen so many changes in our life We've seen the good times together. We've seen hard times together, but how wonderful to have a friend for that long. Um, you know, when Megan and I met, we were 16. We would often just hang out together, listen to music, curl our hair, um, have cups of tea. I've still got my original Winnie the Pooh tea mug. <laughs> and we would pray for our futures together. Little do we know though, uh, 10 years later, when we were both 26, that we would have twins. Megan, twin girls, and me, twin boys, just three months apart. And I love that our relationship has just been so precious, not just between Megan and I, but also our kids. And it's a generational destiny relationship. I want to read you some scriptures today from my Bible that I've had since youth group. Uh, this is so little and it's wrinkled because I dropped it in the gutter one night when it was raining, but I still love my Bible. I want to read to you some um, passages from Proverbs about friendship. And these have been hallmarks in how to have friends for like 36 years. Number one is be unoffendable. Proverbs 17 verse nine says this, 
Whoever would foster love covers over an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You know, in 36 years, Megan and I have not done anything to each other except be loyal and be loving and loving God and loving our family. And we haven't done anything that would cause offence or to take offence. And that is a very important part of having a destiny friendship. Number two, be a friend in good times and hard times. We have both seen a lot of adversity in 36 years, as you can imagine. You know, being 16 is very different to being 52. All of the seasons and all of the years and all of the relationships and all of the family things going on, the friendship, the career, everything. Um, it's amazing to have a friend. Not just amazing, it's like, it is the most, it's a gift from God to have friends or at least one friend who you know is going to be there in good times and in hard times. And this is what Proverbs 17, 17 says. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Sisters are also born for times of adversity. Number three, be reliable. Proverbs 18 24 says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And just being able to count on somebody in the good times and the hard times and just being reliable, you know, it's pretty much a lost art unless we choose that we're going to be that kind of friend. So I want to encourage you to, you know, be a friend. If you, if you don't feel like you have any friends, then, you know, be a friend. Find some friends and see the goodness of God through godly friendship and destiny friendship. And distance doesn't matter because Megan lives in Australia. I live in America and we have still maintained our contact in our friendship and our kids love each other too. So God bless you this week and work on those friendships, invest in them and watch what God will do to bring enrichment into your life. I love you. Well, this morning we're going to continue again with our series, We've Never Been This Way Before. And of course, the context of this is that the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership are on the east side of the Jordan River. They're about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land to possess the land that God had promised to them. They'd been 400 years in slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, and now they were going to inherit the land that Canaan, the land of Canaan that Abraham had traveled from Mesopotamia to when God called him to a new land where they would become a great nation. So we're reading from Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. They had never been that way before and they needed guidance. They needed to know how to go and possess what God had promised them. And of course, in our previous series we've been talking about and looking at how God said, keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, keep your eyes on the presence of God, the place where God manifested his presence. Make my presence central to your lives. Then he also told them that they should be careful to command to do everything that God told them to do. God's word was to be their roadmap. So they were going to be guided by the presence of God. 
They were going to be guided by the sense of the peace of God. They were going to be guided by the word of God, which was to be their roadmap. And then, of course, they were going to need to take steps of faith. And God had said to Joshua, be, uh, be strong, be courageous, do not be dismayed so that you can lay hold of this possession. You can enter into the promises of God. But one thing was for sure, when they went into this land, everything was going to change. The moment they crossed the Jordan River, everything was going to be different. God said, the land that I'm bringing you into is a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose, whose hills you can dig copper. God said, I'm going to give you this land, but you're going to have to possess it for yourselves. You're going to have to go into the land. You're going to have to take steps of faith. I'm not going to give it to you on a silver, silver platter. Don't expect everything to be the same. It's going to be different. You're going to have to navigate new territory. You're going to have to adapt to a new environment. You're going to have to learn to live with change as your constant companion. You're going to have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You're going to have to be familiar with, with the unfamiliar. And you're going to have to be strong, courageous, and you're going to have to fight off discouragement. So God was, was telling them, you, you're, going to, you're going to have to navigate a, a whole new uh, a whole new experience as the people of God. And I think we could always say we've never been this way before, wherever we're at in life, where every day is a new day, every year is a new year. But there's no doubt that uh, in this season that we're in and all that's taken place with COVID-19 and the lockdown over the last five months now since we've been able to gather as a church, we've never been this way before. And there are lessons that we can learn from uh, this story. There's lessons that we can learn because the Apostle Paul said that all these things were written for our benefit so that we who live in these days could benefit from the experiences of the people of God uh, way back all those thousands of years ago. And he was referring specifically to this period of history this time in the nation of Israel when they were entering into the promised land. And so God says, um, you're going to be successful. Um, and, but this is going to be different. Whereby in Egypt, I did everything for you. Now you're going to have to do all of these things for yourselves. And he said, I'm going to be with you, I'll go before you, I'll make a way for you, but things are going to change. Now, when they had left Israel, God had Egypt, God had delivered them with a mighty outstretched arm. And he he did for them as a nation of slaves what they could never have done for themselves. There was no way that they could have um, left Egypt. Moses had tried in his own effort to, to do something along those lines and had failed miserably, ended up fleeing Egypt and spent 40 years himself in the wilderness before he came back and God commissioned him to lead God's people. But God, through all of the plagues that came upon Egypt, delivered them. And of course, the final, the, the final event was and the final plague was that uh, the firstborn of every nation, of every household of the Egyptians uh, died. And, and God delivered the nation of Israel through the Passover. And the Passover is a picture of what Jesus did for us. The, the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Jesus was the lamb of God, 
that was slain for us. Um, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts of the house of every uh, Israelite so that the angel of death would pass over the house and they would be saved. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin so that we are saved uh, from the penalty of sin and, and we can receive the gift of eternal life. And, and so God did for the nation of Israel what they couldn't do for themselves. And God did for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. It's important for us to understand that in our relationship and in our interaction with God, there are things that we can't do that only God can do. And, and those are the things that God does for us to rescue us. But there are things that, that God expects us to do ourselves so that we can possess the promises that he has for us. And that's the pattern of God's interaction with his people. And so God took them out of Egypt, did for them what they couldn't do for themselves, and now they're going into the promised land. God says, I want you to do this for yourselves. And we read in the book of Deuteronomy that there were seven nations that God said you're gonna to have to confront that are greater and mightier than you. And I wanna look at seven things over the next two weeks that God asked the people of Israel, the people of God to do for themselves so that they could possess the promised land. And these are things that we need to do for ourselves so that we can possess the promises of God. So first of all, God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves but then he expects us and he teaches us that we need to do for ourselves what we can now do in order to possess the promise of God. And whenever God works in our lives, whenever he takes us out of something, he takes us into something new. So out of Egypt and slavery into the promised land and freedom. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt. Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. I want to look at that sentence there. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in. God takes us out of where we came from into something new and into something fresh. Before I came to Christ. He took me out of my past life without Christ and he brought me into a relationship with him. God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. He takes us out so that he can bring us in. David talks about this in Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of a pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. God took David out of the pit to take him into the place where he could proclaim the work of God in his life and others would put their trust in their God, in, in God. God takes us out by his mighty hand so that we can, he, we can go into our possession. But what God takes us out of with his mighty hand, he expects us to go into by taking steps of faith for ourselves 
so that we can possess those promises. And so uh, I want to look now at at the first three of those that uh, God was was expecting the nation of Israel to begin to do for themselves. The first of these is they needed to walk for themselves. We touched on this last week, and I, I want to just make a couple of comments before I move on to the second point. But the But God had said in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 31, in the wilderness, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In other words, God had carried them in the wilderness, but now he was expecting them to walk for themselves. And there are times when God will carry us when we can't when, we, when we're out of our depth, when, when there's nothing that we can do for ourselves. But God was saying here, now I need you to walk. I need you to step into this. And, and there's a pattern that we see in scripture. God had said to Abraham when he'd given him the promised land, walk through its length and breadth. Um, and I'm giving it to you. Wherever you walk, I'll give to you. God said the same to Moses, wherever you walk. I will give to you. God said the same to Joshua. Wherever you walk, I will give to you. God told the Joshua to tell the priests that wherever they, when they put their foot in the waters of the river Jordan, the waters would part. God would make a way for them. So there's a pattern, and it's a very clear and consistent pattern. God wants us to walk the walk of faith for ourselves. And he's not going to do everything for us. He's not going to carry us. He's not going to push us. He's not going to pull us along. He's going to go before us and he's going to go behind us and his presence is going to be with us. But we have to walk in the land that we want to take. In other words, this is going to, this is going to be not going to be passive. This is going to be proactive. And in every area of our lives, we want to take new ground, whether it comes to in, the, in, 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 our, in, in our creativity, whether it comes in, in, in our thinking, whether it comes in our attitude, whether it comes in our personal transformation. It requires that we, we take personal steps of faith ourselves. Secondly, they had to fight for themselves. God had done all their fighting for them. God had fought all their battles for them now. They had to fight for themselves. And God says in in the book of Judges, and this is now after the nation of Israel had had possessed the promised land, there's an interesting passage where it says that God left some of these seven nations in the land. And the reason he left them in the land was to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who did not experience battle. Very interesting that God left them there, first of all, to test them, and secondly, to teach them. To test them to see whether they would be faithful to God or whether they would follow the gods of the Canaanites, but also to teach them how to fight battles for themselves, to teach them how to fight. They'd not been used to fighting. In Egypt, they'd been slaves. In the Exodus, God had done their fighting for them. In the wilderness, they didn't face any enemies. Now God was preparing them to fight. And it's interesting here that as they're about to, uh, after they've crossed the Jordan River, as they're about to face their first uh, enemy, the inhabitants of the city of Jericho, God appears to Joshua. And this is what we read in Joshua 5 and verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? or for our adversaries. So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the army of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is a very interesting encounter that uh, Joshua has. And it gives us some keys about how God was wanting them to fight the battles that were before them and gives us some keys in how we can fight our battles in life as we fight to take hold of the possession that God has promised to each and every one of us. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, who was this man? And his answer to Joshua is, is very interesting. When Joshua asks who he is, and, 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 and in fact, he doesn't ask who he is, he asks, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Uh, instead of answering directly, saying, I'm for you, Joshua and the people of God, he says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So a couple of things we need to recognize here. Number one, this was not an angel. This was not an archangel, either Michael or Gabriel. Uh, this was the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself. And we see in the Bibles at several times, in important times of the nation of Israel's history, important moments in the history of redemption, Jesus appears in person in a pre-incarnate form. This is called a Christophany, literally an, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And here he appears, uh, uh, which is the second point, as the commander of the army of the Lord. He was the commander, but the Israelites were his army. And they would be victorious as long as they listened to and obeyed their commander. There's an important lesson for us. We're going to be victorious. We're going to win the fight, the battles that we fight in life. And, and if we listen to the commander, who is Jesus himself, and who will be with us in every struggle, who'll be with us in every challenge, who'll be with us in all that we go through. He is the commander. We are the army of the Lord. We are God's people who are taking hold of his promises. And significantly, this happened just before their first battle, Jericho. And, and the angel of the Lord, the commander of the army, Jesus himself, gave Joshua some specific instructions, very specific, said you, you need to march around Jericho once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, march around it seven times when the priests blow their trumpets, all the people will shout, and of course the walls of Jericho will fall down. So God was with them, but the difference here was they were going to have to walk for themselves, they had to walk around Jericho, they had to fight for themselves. Uh, and as long as they obeyed the commander of the army, they were going to be victorious. The reality is in life, we have to fight to lay hold of our possession. God is with us, God is for us, but we have to fight. Paul tells us that we're in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. He says, don't be ignorant. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Some battles we fight uh, in, in, in the natural realm, but the enemy is at work behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. And so we need to exercise our spiritual authority. Paul tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are spiritual powerful, even to the pulling down of strongholds. We have authority to resist and defeat the enemy in the name of Jesus. Um, we have to fight those battles, spiritual battles. And that's why Paul says, put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, um, 
the, the shield of faith to quench the flaming darts of the evil one, the sword of the spirit, um, and, and, and also to, uh, for our feet to be shod with the gospel of peace. So we're fighting a spiritual battle. But then we have, to, we have to understand that we all face the gravitational pull of forces, of influence, of culture that are constantly pulling us into their spheres. And Jesus won the battle at the cross, and he, but he gave us authority that we have to exercise for ourselves as we fight that battle. God's for us. And in a sense, we can, we, we can cry out to God in prayer, but there's a sense where God is saying, what do you have in your hand? You've got the sword of the spirit. What do you have? On the other hand, you've got the shield of faith. Uh, begin to exercise the authority that I've given you to fight your battles when all of these influences of our culture and all of the spiritual forces and all that are trying to, that, that you are pushing against you and against what you stand for, you have to fight. We have to fight for what we believe. We have to fight for our, the, our principles. We have to fight against the law of entropy, which literally means that everything left to itself tends to decay. We have to fight for our family. We have to fight for the salvation of our loved ones, our friends, and our families. We have to fight for the ground that we take. We have to fight for the ground that we stand on. We have to fight for our faith. Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, um, I have fought the fight. He spent his whole life fighting the fight of faith. We have to fight um, for all of those things that we need to take possession of. And the book of Joshua is a great example of how uh, our Christian walk is not a passive walk, just based on what Jesus has done for us, but it's one that is dynamic, it's active, it's proactive, it's, it's one where we have to fight against the tide of all that would come against us spiritually, but also in our own lives and in our own minds and in our own being. Fight the good fight of faith. And we fight not as those that are ignorant, not as those that beat the air, but we fight with purpose and we fight with a sense of knowing the authority that we have so that we can keep moving forward, keep taking kingdom ground, keep seeing his kingdom come, keep seeing his will be done. The third thing that they needed to do was they needed to feed themselves. Number one, they needed to walk for themselves. Two, they needed to fight for themselves. Three, they needed to feed for themselves. In Joshua 5, we read that the, the manna appeared on the day they first ate, or sorry, no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Remember in the wilderness, God had fed them supernaturally with manna that came from heaven and with quails that came and they ate the manna and the quails for 40 years in the wilderness. And they didn't have to feed themselves, God fed them. Now they had to feed themselves. The day they crossed the Jordan River, the manna ceased. God says, it's now time for you to start to feed yourselves and not expect me to feed you all the time. And there comes a time in life when we've got to stop expecting to be fed and we have to start to feed ourselves. Paul talks about this when he talks to the Hebrews, um, and we're not, when it comes to the book of Hebrews, whether Paul was the writer or not is still unknown, but the writer of Hebrews said this, there is much more that we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. 
You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know what to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, by now, you shouldn't just be sitting like babies expecting to be fed on the milk of the word. You should be feeding others. You should have reached a point of maturity in your Christian walk where you're not just waiting to be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. But you're actually feeding yourself and you're feeding others. I think this is so important for us. Um, And so often over the years, over the decades that I've been in church life, I've heard many people say, well, I need deeper teaching. I need this kind of teaching or that kind of teaching. But in reality, God wants us to be feeding ourselves on the word of God, to be digging into God's word, into the meat of God's word, in our own personal devotion, in our own personal study, in our own times of, 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 of devotion with God, where, where we are feeding ourselves. And of course, we need solid teaching in our church services and in church life, but that's just one day of the week. And that's an opportunity for us to bring people who are unchurched into an environment where they can hear the word of God, maybe for the first time. But what, Paul, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you, sh- you need to be feeding yourselves, and more than that, you should now not only be feeding yourselves, but you should also be feeding others as well. Um, and, and so the time had come when they needed to be feeding others. There's an awesome verse in the book of Acts when the early church had just been birthed. And in Acts chapter 2, we read there in verse 41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then listen to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I want to look at those three words. They devoted themselves. What does that mean? It means that the key to what was happening in the church at that time wasn't that the apostles were, were, were trying to get the disciples and those who were, had newly accepted Christ to, to get them into um, fellowship and to get them into breaking of bread and prayer. No, there was a something that was happening on the inside of the people where they devoted themselves. So they were not waiting to be fed. They were feeding themselves because of their devotion that was coming from inside them, feeding themselves with the word of God, feeding themselves with the breaking of bread and prayer. And It wasn't something that they were being coerced into. It wasn't something that they were being corralled or driven to do by the apostles. This was something that they were eager to do and willing to do for themselves. This wasn't done for them. The believers themselves devoted themselves. And for us to go where we've never been before, we, we, we need to understand the importance of, of each and every one of us devoting ourselves, of feeding ourselves so that we can continue to grow from strength to strength. And so we need to, to in, a, in a sense, to make a shift from a top-down model where uh, leaders are needing to encourage people to be more involved, to be more committed, to give more of their time and talent and treasure, which of course we want to lead by example and encourage people to do. Um, But it's a model where 
where we develop a, a, a community of faith where people are, we are devoting ourselves to the word of God. We are devoting ourselves to prayer. Uh, we're feeding ourselves. We're taking steps for ourselves. We're fighting for ourselves. And all of the devotion in the New Testament came from inside the people, not from the leaders who tried to put it inside the people. Whatever we devote ourselves to, no one needs to devote for us. We do it for ourselves. We don't need it to be done for us. We don't need to be continually pumped by others to do those things. We don't need to be continually reminded or encouraged to prioritize. We don't need to have marketing sent our way to get us to devote ourselves. No, it's going to come naturally. It's going to come organically from within us. Uh, and when we devote ourselves, we don't need to be spiritually jump-started every Sunday by somebody else. Uh, we don't need to be continually pumped by others. We, we're not dependent upon texts or emails or notifications or social media to keep us connected to, to God and his people. No, that's coming from inside of us because we've devoted ourselves to God. We've devoted ourselves to his word, to, to communi the community of faith. We've devoted ourselves rather than depending upon others to continually keep us devoted. I pray that our church will always be the kind of church that's filled with people who've devoted themselves and, and are in the process of not only feeding ourselves, but doing everything we can to feed others. So that, that devotion uh, that has come, comes from within us. It's in our DNA. It's in the grassroots of our culture. They devoted themselves, and so they fed themselves. Well, let's pray and believe God that for all of us, as we go where we've never been before, that we can walk. We know that God is leading us. We know that God is with us. We know that God is for us. But he's saying, walk for yourselves into the promise. He's saying, fight for yourselves because I'm going to give you the ground and the land. And he's saying, uh, feed yourselves and devote yourselves and watch what I will do on your behalf. Well, I pray that that's been encouraging to you today. There are many things that God can do for us that we can't do for ourselves, but there are other things that we need to be doing for ourselves. And as we conclude, I want to talk about the one thing that is the most important thing that any person could do, and that is to recognize that when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our forgiveness, um, we, there is nothing that we can do that can earn salvation, there's nothing that we can do that can earn forgiveness. No, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. And the penalty of sin is death, which is spiritual connect, disconnection from God. Not just for time, but for eternity. And so Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He, the perfect Son of God, hung on the cross of Calvary in our place took upon himself our sins so that we could be forgiven. He did something that we could never do for ourselves. And that is a free gift to us. And if you have never accepted Christ as your savior, if you've never accepted what Jesus did on the cross for you, all you have to do today is to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that he is the one who took your place on the cross and that you accept what he did and receive him as your savior and your life will be transformed forever. And I would love to pray that prayer with you. When you pray that prayer, your sins are gonna be forgiven. You're gonna know his peace in your heart and his presence inside of you. His spirit is gonna cause your spirit to come alive and be connected to him and then you're going to know 
that you have received the gift of eternal life when you leave this world, when you leave this life, that you're going to be in eternity with Jesus and all those who have gone before us who are with him. Let's pray this together. I pray that you would join me in this prayer today. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I ask you to forgive me, give me a brand new start, a fresh beginning. And I believe that from this day on, I will never be the same again. Cause my spirit to come alive to you. Speak to me, lead me, guide me, so that I can fulfill my God-given purpose and destiny, connected to you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so glad that you did. And I pray that you would... Uh, uh, that I, we really hope that you will connect with us and uh, there is a, uh, some information on the screen that will help you to do that. We want to do everything we can to help you fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny. So glad that you prayed that prayer with us today. God bless you. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. Sing that one more time. I know I will never be alone. There'll be another in the fire. Standing next to me There'll be another in the waters Holding back the seas And should I ever need reminding How good you've been to me I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be And I can see the light in the darkness the darkness bows to him I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between where's thin I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in nothing stands between us nothing stands between there'll be another in the fire standing next to me There'll be another in the waters Holding back the seas And should I ever need reminding How good you've been to me I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be well, thank you for joining us today uh, for our service. We, we're so glad that you could do that. And also thank you to all those who came out for our worship and communion service last night. It was just a wonderful time for us to be able to gather together for the first time in five months. We did it outside our building and uh, it was a great time of connection. And, and we'll be letting you know as we move forward about other opportunities we have to do the same thing and also we are praying pray with us that God would turn back the tide of this virus um, that that a cure would be found and that we can begin once again to gather but this time when we do gather again with a sense of something fresh and new that God will bring to the church and to the world in which we live so thank you and as we close, I'd love to pray for you now that the Lord would bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.